You're tuned into the COVID-19 Community Report here on KDRT-LP 95.7 FM in Davis, California. I'm Autumn Labbe-Renault. Today is Tuesday, April 13th, 2021, and we're sharing local news and resources focusing on what's impacting Davis and nearby cities in Yolo County during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is episode 60. Just a reminder, I'll be wrapping this show at the end of this month with the last episode airing April 27th. Heartfelt thanks to all who have taken the time to speak with me over the past 13 months or listen to the show, provided feedback. I'm very grateful on many levels. This month, I'm touching base with folks in a few key sectors, business, local government, and nonprofit to talk about what's next as we begin to emerge from this pandemic. My guest today is Don Saylor, our Yellow County Supervisor for District 2, and we'll get to that interview in just a couple of minutes. The Davis Enterprise reported yesterday that levels of coronavirus detected in the city's sewage system have held steady over the last week, though positive tests for COVID-19 have ticked up in Davis recently. The city has seen a larger percentage growth in new cases over the last four weeks than Woodland, West Sacramento, and Winters, though not by much. Between March 12th and April 9th, cases grew by about 4% in Davis, compared to 3% in Woodland and West Sacramento, and 1.5% in Winters. Unincorporated areas of the county also saw a 4% increase in cases over the last four weeks. All told, 83 new cases were reported in Davis residents over the last month. And while that's significantly less than the enormous surge of cases we saw during the winter, there is an upward curve of cases in the city compared to the county as a whole, where cases remain relatively flat. Countywide, our adjusted case rate for the past week was 2.4%, and our test positivity rate was 0.05%, and those metrics keep us firmly within the orange tier. Healthy Davis Together sent an alert to residents in East and Central Davis on April 2nd, notifying them of increased levels of the coronavirus in wastewater samples taken from their regions of the city. The city and UC Davis plan to add additional monitoring locations throughout the city's sewage system. With the return of kids to hybrid learning, and that means actual time at some school sites this week among DJUSD school sites, mask wearing and good hygienic practices remain of utmost importance, as does vaccinating those 16 and older. Yolo County reports that it has opened its first dose clinics to those 16 and older ahead of the state's expected announcement of the same on April 15th. The county is listing these clinics on the My Turn app and recommends going there to book an appointment. This means the county joins UC Davis Health in helping to protect our younger citizens. UC Davis Health announced last week that those 16 years or older are eligible to schedule a vaccination appointment for COVID-19 at their facilities at UC Davis Health, whether or not they are a patient there. You can visit health.ucdavis.edu to learn more and yolocounty.org to learn more about the county uh, testing sites. Later this week on April 15th, the California Department of Public Health will release its expanded gatherings guidance for both public gatherings outside and private gatherings such as proms and wedding receptions. 
One important thing to know is the guidelines will come with requirements that attendees of indoor events either be vaccinated or have just tested negative. Public health advocates at the county and state continue to under the, underscore the importance of mask wearing in public situations, even for those who are vaccinated as breakthrough infections among vaccinated individuals are real, not terribly commonplace, but they do happen. These case numbers and the numbers of vaccines administered, et cetera, are constantly shifting, but the county's public health baseline recommendation remains whether the two-dose Pfizer and Moderna versions or the one-and-done single Johnson & Johnson dose, all the vaccines offer strong protection against COVID-19. The vaccines lower the risk of hospitalization and death, as well as the risk of severe infection. Let's take a moment for music and we'll be right back with our interview. today is Yolo County Supervisor Don Saylor, who represents District 2, including the cities of Davis and Winters, the campus of the University of California at Davis, and the farmland of southwestern Yolo County. Don's public service career spans over 45 years and includes 25 years in elected in office, administrative planning, and analytical positions in local government in both the legislative and executive branches of California state government. We've spoken a couple times over the pandemic, but it's been a while and much has happened. Thanks so much for joining me again. Autumn, it's great to be with you and thank you so much for this series of, of informative and insightful communications all year long. It's been a true gift to the community. Thank you, Don. It's been my pleasure. I realized I last interviewed you in June 2020, which may as well have been another lifetime. <laughs> so. You know, I'm really, let, let's start with in all your long years of service, I'm sure you never thought you might experience a year like this. What's one of your big takeaways from this time? What What's settled in with you? I think the, the biggest thing is a cementing of my concept of the YOLO way of people rising to work beyond any mandate or responsibility or authority they thought they had make hundreds of quick decisions, people stepping outside their comfort zones, doing, doing jobs that they would never have anticipated. We had really, really fantastic uh, work from uh, Dr. Amy Sisson and Ron mm -hmm. Chapman, her predecessor, Brian Vaughn, our public health officer, and Jenny Tan, who I know you've spoken with a number of times, has yeah. been doing these very thorough briefings. Uh, we've just had uh, folks stepping out of their normal jobs, a probation officer who is now running the logistics for the vaccine, volunteer vaccine clinics, uh, people who, who uh, would work on emergency response stuff have actually been redeployed and are doing all kinds of issues, problem solving, answering every number, every question from every small business owner to a neighbor who's got a concern about what's happening on the street, just, mm -hmm. just all kinds of people stepping up to help each other, 
to volunteer for the clinics, to volunteer in food distributions. Uh, just, just a, I've, it's been a heartwarming experience to watch this all unfold. Yeah. And then, uh, and of course, uh, we have uh, 199 people in Yolo County have died yeah. uh, from COVID this year. And that's, that's a, when you, when you say those numbers, the numbers, not, that's not a, that's not really what it, what it's about. It's, it's James Glicka Hernandez and it's everybody else whose names we could all think of who, yeah. whose lives were, were lost and uh, sadly and tragically and painfully. Yeah. So that's, that's gotta be with us forever. And I've been so heartened by the partnerships among the, the uh, public agencies mm-hmm. that have emerged and UC Davis and the, and the city of Davis and Yolo County uh, supporting their efforts with Healthy Davis together. Yeah. And we've been, uh, my colleagues, Supervisor Jim Provenza and myself have been meeting with UC Davis leaders every two weeks for the past uh, six or seven months uh, to just uh, make sure that we're up to speed on what they're doing. And they've been so cooperative and so responsive. You remember Autumn back in the beginning of all of this, mm-hmm. uh, one of the, one of the big problems was, was of course, nursing homes was, was a big concern yeah. and, but campuses across the country at university campuses were opening up and they would be closing down in a week or two be, or, or less because they just, they just all cavitated. Well, that didn't happen here because yeah. of all of the, the effort and, you know, we've had no COVID cases among inmates at Yolo County Jail all year long, zero. That, that's, a, that's a pretty impressive thing. And part of that, I will tell you, was the health officer being very clear about what safe practices were. Mm-hmm. Also, UC Davis helped with some with the testing. And UC Davis's uh, rapid testing was deployed to all the nursing facilities in Yolo County, not just the ones in Davis. Yeah. to help out uh, where, where the needs were greatest. I, I come away with, a, I guess, even a stronger sense of, of pride in the YOLO way and people coming together. I, and I love that phrase you've coined, the YOLO way. I've used it myself over the years. I always give you credit, by the way. <laughs> but it, it, you're right. And the, the Healthy Davis um, Together effort obviously has expanded beyond Davis. There's the vaccination clinic in West Sacramento. There's the, you know, the, the whole effort was profiled in the New York Times for being as outstanding as it is. And it really did seem that out of some somewhat fractured relationships, there's this cohesion and this new spirit of working together that's emerged from all of that. So that is a great takeaway. I also want to second your um, accolades for the county's public health department. You're right, I have worked with Jenny and her staff. I've worked with Dr. Sisson. We worked with Dr. Chapman before that and uh, Dr. Marianne Limbos in, in between. And everyone's been fantastic. And I am very happy to report I got my first vaccination at a county clinic last week. And it was you know, a very uplifting and, and hopeful moment. And uh, everyone just did a great job. So one thing I've learned through this, Don, is how much money and how many services flow through the county. It's actually been eye-opening for me. In, in my years as a reporter, I always tended to focus on a, a, a city level beat and didn't really get too much into county government. So what, two questions, what kinds of extra costs has the county incurred during the pandemic? I imagine they must be substantial with the efforts we just described. 
And then how will the county's portion of the federal stimulus funding be used or what are some of the early discussions around that? Well, Adam, I, I, I wanna, I'll answer those, but I first wanna just make another comment about the, the community coming together. These, we've, we've deployed 54,000 vaccines uh, throughout Yolo County. Of that, of, of, the, of the folks who received the vaccines, of course, the, the first it was a 65 and older, mm -hmm. and then it was people in specific job categories. One of the left out groups or left behind groups in the, is always uh, low income workers or farm workers, right. seasonal workers, restaurant workers. It's so hard for them to sign up on the source of health insurance is a challenge for some of them. So I'm really proud that in Yolo County, we've had a network of people doing direct outreach uh, to, to uh, farm workers and farmers who employ them. We've had, uh, in particular, I wanna, uh, wanna thank Claire Towser with Sola Bee Farms, Antonio Delora Bruce and Esmeralda Garza who work for the county because they've organized clinics on, farm, on farms, clinics that labor contractors yeah. And just, just this week, uh, well, this coming on Saturday of, uh, I guess it'll be April 9th, uh, there'll be a clinic, a vaccine clinic at the Davis Migrant Center, the second day after the migrants return from, the, from uh, their, 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 their time away. And then the following week, there'll be a vaccine clinic at Madison uh, Migrant Camp when that place opens up again. So 75% of the farm workers in Yolo County have already been vaccinated. That's a success story. That's another example of the Yolo way. When this all began with, on the finances, uh, we were looking at uh, increased costs for, uh, for, for uh, aid for benefit programs, uh, need to deploy people to buy all kinds of uh, gear, equipment, uh, to, uh, for personal protective equipment, but other kinds of things, or buy trailers to haul stuff around just all kinds of costs at the same time, expecting uh, dramatic reductions in, in county revenues. And, and, and what, what, one of the things that sort of has saved us uh, from that dual hit is the CARES Act funding that we have received that we've been able to deploy. And those, and those, those funds have been substantial. We've been able to make investments in small business uh, support in, in Davis. Uh, we've, we've deployed $269,000 in small business grants and direct to the small businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, in winters, another 74,000 countywide, 600, over $600,000 through, through some of the CARES funds. We've been able to support uh, some, uh, some restaurant fee waivers uh, and just a several different things of that sort to help people to to uh, install, set up all those outdoor eating areas for the restaurants, right? Uh, using some of those CARES Act, CARES Act funds, and yet, uh, and this this all comes with a tremendous cost to businesses, to families, to to anybody who's here. We've all been forced into a sense of isolation, and so many people have lost their jobs. And among the most impacted are folks who are undocumented. And yeah. some of them early on uh, were, were restaurant workers who when the, when the restaurant closes, they have no job and they don't have anything to fall back on. So a, a local group called Apo Yolo working with Yolo Interfaith Immigration Network has just been doing yeoman's work to help to support them. And in fact, uh, they've even 
done personal outreach to get their part, their target off population to vaccine clinics. Yeah. Uh, so the, the vaccine clinic you went to, you might have seen some of those folks uh, who were who were being sort of chaperoned by Apoyolo volunteers. Yeah. This uh, this next round of funds, the American Rescue Plan funds, is is a transformational. Uh, this is a once in a generation sort of investment. Well, it's once in a, genera in a generation transformational investment from our, our, uh, from our country and from our, our citizens mm -hmm. back into our communities. And Yolo County is, this is going to come in two blocks. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there's a first block will come in mid-May and the second will come in March of 2022. Yolo County itself will receive about $43 million in this allocation. Our four cities together have an aggregate 43 million mm -hmm. and our school, our five school districts have another 40 million. So between the, the government jurisdictions, it's a, over $120 million is coming into our county uh, to be spent within the next three years. It's not ongoing, but, but it's one time. And to mm -hmm. give you a sense of the magnitude of that, Yolo County's annual general fund discretionary budget is about $85 million. So that's money that we have some degree of discretion on how we deploy it. So this is a very substantial reinvestment in our communities. And the, the kinds of things that we can spend it on are, are infrastructure, roads, um, water systems, sewer systems, broadband, other things associated with lost, rev, lost income, uh, reduced uh, and uh, direct impacts of the pandemic. So there's a very, it's pretty broad in some yeah. respects. And so we are, we're hoping that we can do some collaborative work among the, with the cities and the county and the school districts to leverage those, those, uh, those resources. Uh, examples could be such things as early childhood development, affordable, accessible, quality childcare, uh, a stronger food distribution network, really making the last mile for uh, for uh, interest for broadband infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, to help to address the inequities and we're we've asked we're asking our health council our uh, our uh, all of our advisory commissions uh, for high leverage one-time uh, focused investments that will make a difference you know if you live in one zip code in yolo county if you live in broderick bright area Mm -hmm. Your lifespan is 15 years less than if you live, your predicted lifespan is 15 years less than if you live in 95618 in South Davis. Yeah. And that's, a, that's an issue that we may have an opportunity to address that's in, exciting. This, uh, in this situation. Yeah. Uh, someday we'll have a, a full-on conversation about the broadband effort as it gets underway. But that's an example of, I you know, this pandemic has done a great job of illuminating the weak spots in, in our safety net or the, the absent spots. And, and broadband is one of those things that's been especially highlighted um, and all the inequalities that exist and how people can access it and, and how they can use it. Another area, I've noticed you've been writing a lot about juvenile justice lately. We, and we have about six minutes left. So just so you know, I am, there's a lot going on in Yolo County around this right now. Will you help me synopsize the, the 
the steps that are being taken and what is on the county's plate with regard to reforming um, the juvenile justice system here in Yellow County. Well, the good news is that over over the past 10 years or so, the, there's been tremendous reduction in the use of incarceration facilities for juveniles throughout California and in Yolo County as well. In fact, uh, a, a few years ago, we added space to our juvenile detention facility. So it's now got 93 pods with 30 beds at each. So capacity for 90 kids. So because of the various reforms and because of the community focus on on uh, alternatives to incarceration and positive investments in youth, we've been able to reduce that population. So it's actually uh, average is uh, five or less, uh, but with a few peaks of up to 12. So hardly using that facility at all. That fact, that's one of the reasons that a few years ago, uh, the idea was to lease out some of that space to the Office of Refugee Resettlement for, mm -hmm. for uh, young, young, uh, young folks who are immigrants. That, that was not a good program. Over time, we became very uncomfortable with being a part of that system. And so we just continued that contract. So now we have all this excess capacity at the juvenile detention facility. There's a new, so that's one issue is how do we most effectively use that? And how do we productively uh, provide programming for those few kids who do need to have a place that, uh, that takes them away from their communities for at least a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And that, it's a, we spend about $3 million a year on operating that facility, an average of, of five kids there. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's something we can take a look at. And it, can you imagine what we could do if, if, we, if we even had a third of that money to reinvest in other neighborhood community-based solutions and approaches to prevent youth, youth involvement in, in uh, criminal activity? Mm -hmm. Second the piece that that's, uh, sort of comes at the same time is that there's a, a state program operated by the Division of Juvenile Justice in the California Department of, of uh, Crime and, and uh, Corrections and Rehabilitation. And that this, the state has decided they're gonna to kind of divest themselves from this whole effort. So those, those programs are gonna become, that, that's gonna become a county responsibility. Well, right now we have two people uh, housed in the state juvenile correction system from Yolo County, two. And so we, uh, and we, and neither of them are going to be uh, included very much longer. We don't have anybody else currently in the pipeline, but we have a, a requirement that we provide a solution for future uh, juveniles who might have gone to the state system before. Right. So that is also a, a, a need. There, there's really a need for some regional collaboration, some county, some county uh, co- uh, uh, coalitions yeah. to work on these issues because no one we shouldn't be having 58 counties trying to solve the state problem <laughs> no not folks. every county needs to reinvent the, the wheel right and i right. i did read um i think it was in your last newsletter that some of these efforts are are seem to be targeted at uh rehabilitation versus incarceration can you speak right. to that well right i think the the idea that we all, we, we all think that the best way to, to uh, approach this is upstream uh, to, to provide thriving families and working communities and, and opportunities for young people to grow in a healthy way. And that's where we want to invest. There are, unfortunately, there are people who are young, young people who do commit crimes. And then we need to find ways to 
keep them in the least restrictive environment possible. And that can be through community supervision, through job training, education, mentoring, positive experiences with adults. That's where we should be investing our, our, our resources. But the idea that the state has is to is is, is appropriate. It's consistent with that. It, problem is that, that it's requiring very fast timeline and, a, and, and we're all, all the counties are struggling to be responsive and set up whole new systems mm. uh, in, a, in a short period of time. So this is a challenge that's present for us and it dovetails with this issue of what do we do with this uh, currently unused juvenile detention facility. Also, uh, also Autumn, one more, one more just quick thing is mm -hmm. this all comes on the heels of during the pandemic we had no no cash bail, so we have fewer people in our adult jail uh, through this, and we've come to realize that that might not have been such a bad idea. Mm. That in the main, that no zero bail or that zero bail uh, has meant that fewer people were incarcerated, thus separated from their jobs, their families, and their futures, mm. and we and it didn't actually have a tremendous negative impact on our community. That's really interesting. I suspect out of this time of crisis, uh, there's going to be some transformational change at many levels. And I know that you and I could sit here and talk all day. And unfortunately, we're winding down to the end of our time together. So please let folks know the best way to reach you. If they are a constituent and they have a question, they want to reach you, they can do so at don.sailor at yolocounty.org or 530-757-5557. Thank you. And I'll tell you, if you call or email those, you'll likely encounter first the lovely Sarah uh, Simmons and uh, or Tara Thronson, who are Don's wonderful staff. Thank you so much for making time to join me. And thank you for all you do uh, for those of us in Yolo County. Likewise, you guys at Davis Media Access are fantastic asset. Thank you. KDRT-FM is a community radio station broadcasting at 95.7 on the FM dial and worldwide at kdrt.org. Community radio relies entirely on contributions from listeners like you and me to support our operating costs. If you want to donate, go to kdrt.org, kdrt.org, and look for the support button. Thanks for your contributions, and thanks for listening to KDRT.